Thanks for tuning in to the CoLive podcast, where we explore learnings, insights, and discussions with co-living operators and professionals from around the world. If you're a first-time listener on our podcast, just a quick reminder that CoLive is the world's largest co-living association with the goal to connect, educate, and empower co-living professionals. Today's episode has been recorded during one of our monthly meetups, where we discuss a wide variety of topics related to co-living. To join our network or find out about future meetups and other events, please visit colive.org. That's C-O-L-I-V.org. So without further ado, let's hop right in to today's episode. I became a partner and also um, uh, heading our business development uh, department. And we opened an office in Sydney, Australia, in London, and in New York. Uh, We also had an office in Stockholm as well, in addition to Copenhagen. So I was kept quite busy. But I've got to say, at a certain point, I kind of became very interested in what our clients did. Who were our clients? They were developers. They were people that were building new buildings for people to use. They were, in fact, looking at new office concepts, the future of work. Or they were looking at new living concepts, the way that we would live in the future. And around 2017, I started hearing about something called co-living. And I thought, now I have to go into this. And I left. I left a very secure, fantastic job where everybody liked me. I just said, thanks. This was fun. And now it's time to throw myself out into the co-living world and look at new living concepts. And uh, that was two years ago. So that was in September of 2019. And... um, I had a lot of fun. I started going and visiting a lot of different co-living places. I I, I still do every time I have a chance. And I was so happy to hear um, um, that uh, one of our participants uh, sent her son to the the student hotel because I just spent my summer there as well uh, in Bologna checking out their space. And my little son was using the swimming pool every single day. (laughs) It was quite a a cool place to, to have a little holiday. But I I ended up visiting as many co-living places as I could because I wanted to develop my own co-living concept. And that co-living concept was called Generation Global. Generation Global was inspired by the globalized world, by interconnected cultures, the rise of the international citizen. In many ways, I kind of designed a concept that would have appealed to me when I moved from Canada to Denmark when I came to Copenhagen to start my new job at 3XN Architects, I wanted to design a place that would embrace and would nurture people that came here to start a new life. Because we were in many ways a sudden new group of professionals. And as 3XN started growing, I saw more and more of them. I saw kind of a new kind of expat, not the kind that comes and gets a huge check and gets, you know, like a housing allowance for a massive villa, you know, that kind of expat doesn't exist anymore. I was speaking with the head of human resources at Maersk now, and she said, we don't have expats anymore. We make them all localized after three months. So you get a three month allowance for someplace to live. And after that, we consider you local. That's fascinating. And it's just 
the, the way of the times. People aren't um, being given these huge expat packages anymore. So we used to see these young people come that were highly, highly talented. You know, they could design robots. They could do parametric modeling. These were the talent that were driving innovation in Copenhagen. They were also very sophisticated. They were on their fourth or fifth city. They could talk about Singapore. They could talk about New York, you know, and then they were landing in Copenhagen. So they live a very global lifestyle and are also increasingly digital, increasingly nomadic. You don't know how long you've got them. You want to, everything you do is to try and keep them. So they, the one thing they really loved about Copenhagen was the work-life balance, the quality of life that they loved, but they had challenges because even though they were highly talented, it was difficult to break into the rental market in Copenhagen. Here, you need to pay a three-month deposit, then three months prepaid rent, and then you also have to pay the current month rent. So if you'd like to get an apartment here, be prepared to pay seven months rent upfront if you can get an apartment. So what we used to see happen was that they would move to Copenhagen, they would do couch surfing for the first month or so, Then a couple of them would meet each other and they'd graduate to an Airbnb. And then they would save up money for a few months and gradually then pay the deposit on an apartment. But there would be like four or five or six of them sharing that apartment. So this really showed me the opportunity and the fact that these young people don't have a place to live. And even though our city planning departments try to say that everybody should have an apartment, everybody should have a place to live, the fact of the matter is that in urban centers today throughout the world, many people live together. So in London, 33% of the workforce share their living accommodations with each other. And we're not talking about like boyfriend, girlfriend. We're talking about like people that need to share their living accommodation with other people. In New York, that number is around 25%. So this is a lot. In addition to the challenge of finding flexible, convenient, affordable housing, loneliness is an issue. And we've all heard it. All of these things, we know it. Anybody that's working within co-living is aware of it. But what is surprising to me is to see people that are so talented, that are so accomplished, that confident, that have this sense of loneliness that emerges. I remember one of my friends, he was working at a, a bank here. He was from Sydney and he was working for Nordea, um, very prominent position. And there was something in him. He had to call almost every day to ask if we could meet up, if we could go out for dinner, if we could go out for a drink. And, you know, it got kind of tiring <laughs> because, you know, I can't, you couldn't go out every single night, but he, he would come home And there wasn't much there. And I remember the first two years when I lived in Copenhagen, I, had a, I actually had an apartment and I had all of this 105 square meters to myself. And those two years were the longest two years of the entire 14 years that I've lived here. They were longer than, than the rest of it combined. So this is an issue and we have to deal with that. And it doesn't help that Denmark is a little bit difficult to make friends in. Um, here, I mean, you kind of make all your friends when you go to the, the kindergarten and, and you keep them for the whole life. <laughs> um, so this group, they really longed for a sense of community. And my answer was a co-living concept. 
where I really tried to take from all those amazing examples that I had seen and take hospitality, elements of technology, food and beverage, well-being and fitness, and social impact, and feed them into and reinventing residential in this decade of the 2020s. So that was my, my departure point. But it led to the question, and this is a question that I want to talk about today. Can one identify with the global nomad by showcasing localism? If we take global trends, can we adapt them for a local cultural context? I think this is where we can look at tremendous value add. There are global trends that are the drivers for new living concepts. We're all aware of what those are. But there's also localism that has emerged as a major post-pandemic trend. This last year and a half has been hell. It has been so difficult for many of us that do live global um, lives. I mean, it got to the point where, you know, where there used to be a direct flight to Canada every single day from Copenhagen's airport, that, that flight doesn't exist anymore. And for me to go to Canada is a big deal now. Um, and certainly, you know, for my family. Um, and I think we, we all kind of faced that and we all kind of discovered localism. So if we take a look at, first of all, the global trends for drivers for co-living, we can see that the global trends really were things like urbanism, because many people were moving to the cities, right? We saw that there was a change in societal values. People were more conscious about, you know, um, uh, the benefits of shared living or shared economy. We saw global mobility, as I was saying earlier, where we would have at 3XN these young people that were moving. Um, sustainable living, people being very conscious of their carbon footprint, loneliness, and technology. So all of these were global trends driving new living concepts. Now, one thing that's very interesting is that global mobility didn't really change in Copenhagen during the pandemic. People were still moving here during the pandemic. In 2020, I checked with Copenhagen Municipality's International House, they issued the same number of CPR numbers to internationals arriving in Copenhagen as in 2019. The number didn't change. People were still moving here for jobs. There are a tremendous number of jobs that are available in Denmark for engineers, in the tech, finance, um, sustainable technologies world, and they are hungry for talent. Copenhagen Capacity is doing all sorts of initiatives to bring um, the best international talent and attract them here to, to, uh, to Denmark. And to, in that regard, one of the things that they're actually emphasizing is localism. Now, this is where I'd like to do the first breakout group. And I, I hope it's, um, I, I don't know if we divide in two or Laura, I'll let you decide what, what might be best. But what I think would be really interesting is if we have one or two or three groups um, where we can talk about what are characteristics of localism. Because if you had asked me what is localism before the pandemic, I'm not sure I would have given you a positive answer. In fact, I probably would have been slightly suspicious of the idea of localism and not really understand what it was. But over the 
over the pandemic, I came to see that there are some characteristics of localism that I actually embraced. And so maybe what we could do in our groups is just spend a few minutes talking about what is localism and then uh, maybe even give an example of how you experienced localism during lockdown. Was it a positive or a negative experience? And then which of those characteristics might actually enhance the co-living experience? And so um, Laura maybe, or Kate, I'm not sure who was doing the breakout, but I'll, I'll let you do this. And yeah. um, what do you think, Jonathan? Yeah, I mean, we are about 10 people here. Uh, I think uh, unless you want like two or three people in each room, I think we can have it uh, right here. Uh, you could also, yeah, have it right here. What do you and think, Jack? And go around. Sure. Or uh, if uh, how many are we? Uh, participants, uh, six participants, and okay. uh, let's do it in here. And let's 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 go around. Maybe ask each person what they think are characteristics of localism in a pandemic world. Like what, and and maybe how you may have been surprised about localism during during um, the pandemic. And uh, Robert, is it okay if we start with you? I'd like to maybe um, hear. Yeah, sure thing. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so for me, my perspective, uh, first of all, as I mentioned in the chat, like from perspective of uh, somebody who could have used uh, co-living, really when I lived in Copenhagen, I want to say that everything you said was spot on. So I worked as a marketing manager for a subsidiary of Saxo Bank. Oh, yeah. We, we designed I, that building, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yep. I don't know if, if you, you were the people who put, the, for the time, they had like mini Ferrari cars. Yeah, and motorbikes. And, yeah, and, like, <laughs> in, in their offices, like yes. the, the real mini Ferrari cars, like the smaller ones. Anyways, back on topic, uh, everything you said was true. My experience in terms of localism comes from my previous position where I was pretty much more of in a managerial position, like you know, CMO and whatnot, right? And I was hiring people. And I had to take care of the company's people as well on my own accord. So I was bringing in people to where I live now, Tallinn, Estonia, and I'm a native. And I, I really had had a pleasure to kind of accommodate uh, during the pandemic people from Turkey, people with a different gender identity than is normal, especially here in Tallinn, Estonia, which is still a post-Soviet republic. And, uh, and we, we do have some uh, you know, attitudes <laughs> that, that, that need changing. So for me, the, it, it was a very much an enlightening experience. How can I help others? How can I serve others? Which, which sounds a little bit maybe cliche and corny, but in, in, it had to be real. Like, how, how can I, uh, you know, where can we go bowling? What can we do? How can I accommodate? Uh, you know, how do people fit in uh, in terms of co-living? Uh, a lot of the people I was, I was actually hiring developers as well. So a few of the developers were actually moving to hotels, right? So we, we do have a couple of co-living uh, arrangements here in Estonia as well, who are our, my, my current employer's uh, clients as well. But what people uh, as developers were enjoying very much was uh, moving to hotels and renting from hotels, right? So the prices were really, really cheap. Uh, and uh, they found the hotel life very, very accommodating uh, in terms of you know free Wi-Fi, free cleaning, what, I, what have you. So ho hopefully that, that, that's kind of eye-opening. What they enjoyed most and when I was actually talking like with, with these guys because they didn't have much to do, right? And I, I was 
trying to fill, fill their time and talk how they're doing, et cetera, et cetera. So they always mention like the scenery, which is really, really interesting. So especially, you know, Estonia is right in the Middle East and Europe and Nordics. So we do have a lot of natural scenery. And maybe in, in terms of today's topic of sustainability, uh, I, naturally it came up that, you know, let's say we can't call them expats, as you mentioned, Jack. They do enjoy anything that is natural, everything that fits in, fits right in and gives you the vibe. So close to the old town, if you have an old town in your you know, town or city, which a lot of, a lot of the cities in, you know, in the Nordics and Europe do. So, so everything that can make people feel that they, they're experiencing real life and there's something interesting to do. And furthermore, final piece of uh, advice that I got from these people, I learned from them was that they enjoyed going to the countryside a lot. So, you know, uh, one guy from Turkey pretty much rented a Subaru, like four by four, and just traveled around the foods and, you know, the forests and, and the bogs and on the, and the islands of Estonia, which you can also do in Denmark or Finland or in Germany, right? So kind of uh, bringing it all together, like the, the I, I, and I'm just writing an article on Go Living, and I'm reading about urbanization in Europe and how it's different than the rest of the world. So the, even if we don't have the big cities here, the urbanization, according to the European Commission, is a little bit different in terms of in Europe, we can integrate, you know, the countryside with the city and, and re really bring the sustainability alive. So that's our advantage here in Europe, I think. So we, we won't, won't have this huge, you know, huge mega cities like Delhi will be or Mexico City or New York City will still be around. But we'll have a very, very keen advantage to offer some, you know, all of our... Uh, young professionals moving into Europe, something that's extraordinary in terms of combining nature with city life. Yeah. Sorry for the long rant, but that, that's my uh, yeah, long localism. Super, Robert. I mean, this is very much in line. I, I totally agree with you. And I really like the idea of the integration of countryside with the city that we're able to offer in Europe. That's so, so, so true. Um, experiencing real life. I mean, that's a very, uh, I think that is something that people really, really, long for when they arrive in a place like Copenhagen, they see the life that's going on when they see the vibe and wanting to insert themselves into that too and figuring out how do I do that? What is the key? Yeah. Um, Chris, do you have some comments? Oh, not sure if he's still there. Alex, do you have any comments? Yeah. Um, first of all, um, I'm uh, I come from mobile operator from Vodafone uh, a long time ago. But just to say, I was teach how to work out of office. So it's a long, long time for a long, long time we we learn how to work from car from from customer side and so on. In in times where this doesn't happen, it was time when you call somebody on a mobile phone. They say, "I'm driving. I call you from the office." Okay, just just point out my age, by the way. <laughs> and um, second point, uh, the lockdown for me, uh, so I, I build up my companies with the, with the nomadism in mind. I mean, working whatever the guys want. So no physical, uh, even if co-working is something physical, but yeah, we, we push on that and we succeed. And lockdown was, yeah, hard for everybody uh, but we feel less because we we were, we was prepared and then my thought was what's happening after what what the next step and then come 
Tim Cook, obviously <laughs> the good and bad of the guys of Apple and, and so on, but for sure his point of view is a is an interesting point of view from from the, the position he he managed, and he say the word hybrid, and that for me was was the, the, the word for, 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 not for future, but for the present. So hybrid is, yeah, is something that we already done, we already are doing. Uh, even in Colive, there is a physical event last, last, uh, last weeks. And this virtual event right now. The challenging is, my, my, my challenging is how to do a real event or a real meeting or let's say, exchange something, even for private life or for um, business life, how can we have, uh, like this conversation, uh, virtual with somebody in presence? Because what, what I see now, it's like, okay, a big projector in a, in a room, physical with people inside, and we as a virtual connect and project on the wall. But I feel this is not the solution. So I'm really eager to, to test maybe in our next living how to uh, connect two different community. By the way, I have a friend uh, uh, doing this in, in, uh, in Paris and um, we want to establish something between the two co-living in the future when I'm ready, obviously. Uh, just guessing using uh, HoloLens, you know, the mixed reality device to see um, just just for the less techy here, uh, it's like a goggle, but it translucent the transparent uh, display. So it's not like closing everything, your life, your physical uh, world, and it's <coughs> transparent. So basically, you see your table, you see friend behind you, but sub sub uh, there is a, a like a display. You see something else that is not here, and there is a, a marvelous YouTube video about that. So uh, a father interact with the child, with kids, <laughs> proper kids were very touching. And kids love this because they see his dad, her dad, sorry. And yeah, so hybrid and how to really, um, how to do that. Because actual technology, actual culture, because that is the point. It's not a, problem, not a matter of technology. Technology full of culture. By the way, I remember in 2000, uh, three, the mobile operator trying to push mobile video call. Me, then a little nerd, I didn't do one in 2000. And now we know what's happened and everybody love and hate, but they do it. So the yeah. next step would be how to transfer the feeling in a mixed reality. That is such an interesting point. You know, technology really is that bridge between localism and globalism, presence and virtuality, that, that transfer um, of feeling um, and maybe even exactly. the creation of a new feeling. Um, I, I, so sorry, Jack, just to point out this, I posted this phrase on LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago, maybe more. It's now what we have, the emotion we are transferring now in this call it's like 2G in uh, 90, in the 90, the 2G technology, I mean, the voice technology. And today we are talking about 6G now. Yeah. <laughs> and so we are, the story is, is again, is, is the, 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 the wall, the, sorry, the, 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 the wheel is, 
is, is spinning. So today with the, this video call, this Zoom video call, Google Meet, Microsoft Teams, doesn't matter. We are like in 2G in the 90. Yes. And, and, and we have to expect something more like yeah. five, six, seven Gs today from the mobility. In the mobility. And it's around the corner. And I, I mean, it's going to yep. make our world so much smaller. No, it was a really great point. Lena, do you have anything to add of, of what uh, characteristics of localism um, are and, and what, what you may have experienced during the, the pandemic uh, in terms of localism um, and, and which of those elements might actually enhance the co-living experience? Uh, I can tell you two stories, funny stories. So during um, this winter, we had a guest from France, uh, Jeremy, and he came to stay for two months. And then he had a problem to extend his stay for, for three more months. So we helped him and found the lawyer and he did all this formal process. But then he uh, found a girlfriend via Tinder and she appeared to be um, uh, the English teacher of our daughter and he started dating her. And uh, after two months, she was pregnant. <laughs> and now, <laughs> so he finally got married here in Ukraine and stayed in our town <laughs> and uh, they're expecting a child very soon or maybe already <laughs> these days. So that's one of the love stories and he fully integrated into, the, into our lifestyle and he, although he came from, uh, uh, what do you call this city, from the Canes, region in France. So the, the fabulous area where all Ukrainian guys would, would like to live or dream to have a holiday at least once in a year. And he said, I was bored with canes and the sea. So I wanted to travel the world and he found his uh, happiness here. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one story. <laughs> and he's doing online business and delivering NLP courses. And uh, yes, he had a dream to start uh, doing it offline in Ukraine, but yeah, unfortunately the lockdown didn't allow us to use our conference hall. So he's happily married and expecting a child at the moment. And then there was uh, Johnny from uh, the USA uh, with his uh, girlfriend. He stayed with us for about a month, I guess. And during that time, we had an application from a local TV channel, a really top, one of top three TV channels in Ukraine and they wanted uh, us to give an interview about co-living lifestyle and uh, I said okay we have uh, residents from other countries would you like to interview them so that's how Johnny became popular <laughs> <laughs> and they made an absolutely free re report about our house so with our interviews and Johnny uh, being the main <laughs> guest the star the superstar of this report so he came back uh, to, to his Romanian temporary house, famous. <laughs> so, that sounds fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so that, um, my stories, and, yeah, it just happens. <laughs> but that's the beauty of what ends up happening as, as people travel the world and, and go into new experiences, new places and, and create their own communities. I mean, I think the three of you actually covered three very different kinds of aspects. You know, um, I, I really also appreciated what Robert said in the beginning of also taking care of those who are different, culturally different, who arrived in one environment 
versus from what they were used to in another environment. Um, and then also the, the nature elements. And then um, Alex talking about the technology angle and Lena talking about the human angle, the fact that we are all people and that, you know, we, we end up kind of bumping into someone falling in love or happen to be on TV and become a famous person. You know, this is amazing. What I, I, I put down a few things. I thought that some characteristics that I appreciated were authenticity and trust. We started really like getting to know, oh yeah, there is a bakery right around the corner from me that I don't usually notice, you know? Um, whenever I'm in the taxi on the way to the airport, I realize there's this little cluster of restaurants that kind of looked cool, but I never went there. Um, realizing that, that there are places nearby that are authentic. We started thinking about the kind of food that we're eating because we started eating food that was grown nearby. Um, and that meant that we were also looking for quality. What, what, what are these? Uh, are these ecological? Are they? Are they organic? Um, is it coming from a farm nearby? We also wanted convenience. I mean, now I know that I should just go around the corner. I, I don't necessarily need to, you know, go across town. And more than ever, we're ordering everything online. Community also became important, even if we didn't necessarily have physical community we really tried to create community with the closest that we could. Some of us had to choose who would be in our bubble. Um, in the, for the first lockdown, we were actually having a dinner party with six people that didn't know each other. And we um, ended up agreeing when the prime minister told us we would go on lockdown the next day. Um, we agreed, we will meet each other two weeks from now. And we actually met every two weeks throughout the first lockdown and called ourselves the Rat Pack. And this was really interesting because none of us really knew each other. Um, and we became extremely close friends as a result of that. And then uniqueness, you know, what, what other things did we have to discover? We all went on these huge long walks every day just to get some exercise, finding, you know, new parks, things that were unique about our city. And so, those elements of localism, I would say, were the positive um, elements, the things, the things that actually meant something to us. And so I, I kind of thought globalism and localism need to play together, especially when we're talking about co-living. And I found a few examples, and I thought I would just share some of these. Um, <laughs> I apologize. I've caught in a – it's not corona, but I've got something else now <laughs> because – um, I haven't been sick in so many months and now I've got something else. But I've got kind of three different kinds of shared communities here. Um, I've got Outsite and one project in Lofoten, Norway. Then there's a shared community called uh, Serenby in Atlanta, Georgia. And then there's a third example locally called Cactus Towers in Copenhagen. And oops. The first one is, the first two are very similar, Outsight and the one in Lofoten. These are, these are quite unique because, um, you know, they are more or less for maybe fantastic places to spend a pandemic. You know, you can work anywhere, but you live differently. They're beautiful places to stay designed for remote workers. Um, they are in urban, coastal, alpine destinations. So there's some in the mountains, some in the cities, some by the, by the water. And they are all around the world. Outside is in the US, in Europe, Latin America, and Asia. 
they have a membership system. So you, they basically have 40 different nationalities as members. The average age is 36. So this is very much about people escaping, going somewhere different, living another life for a little bit, and being able to work from that space. I think that's kind of interesting because at the same time, they're discovering another part of themselves. And that's very similar to, say, um, the Arctic co-working lodge in Lofoten. This is based on the hunger for adventure. This is in um, Upper Norway, and their motto is live, work, explore. So this is very much a community of creative, adventurous individuals. Um, there are shared living uh, facilities and bedrooms, and then an open office space as well, so that people can also work from up there. And then there's a whole range of um, uh, services and activities that explore the nature. They do everything from surfing to baking bread together. And I think this is actually quite cool. It's two guys that have so many different kinds of educations between them, from anthropology to economics and political science. And they're very focused on sustainability, cleaner, climate. This is, of course, very important to them. And so these two are very interesting because, of course, they combine globalism and localism. In fact, people will go there specifically to experience something local and different. And they have the people on site to show them the very best uh, of, of, of that location. The, the next um, uh, example is, is really very special. This is called Serenby. It's in Atlanta, Georgia. And this isn't necessarily co-living, but this is a shared community. This is a community that is all about um, going back in time, back to when we had actual villages, back to authenticity, realness. When we had a main street that had the butcher, the baker and the candlestick maker, um, where you could go to farmer's markets on the weekend and get authentic produce. This is a, a, an extremely idyllic place and I've read so much about it and I follow their blogs and really look into it. But what this oozes is authenticity. It's village life. Um, and it, what, what is nice is that they have partnerships with neighboring farms so that your kids can actually go and have a small plot of a garden and grow stuff, or they can go and play with animals and pet animals. Um, there's a huge focus on health and well-being. And that, yet at the same time, the people that live here are highly sophisticated. There are fine dining options. There are wine tastings. When we take a look at the amenities, the services and the activities here, they're really at a very high level. What's also cool is that they have a small theater that's meant for the community and the ballet comes to them. The modern ballet of Atlanta actually comes to Serenby and puts on presentations for them. And on top of that, they also host summits, leadership summits, agricultural innovation summits, tech summits, so they're providing content and programming for a highly sophisticated clientele within an extremely authentic um, village nature inspired kind of uh, place. And then of course on their website, they say it's only 25 minutes from the Atlanta International Airport, which is one of the largest airports in the world and can, prior to Corona could almost go to almost any city in the world directly. 
So this, this, was, this is what I find extremely interesting in the sense that it offers something very cozy, very local, um, but for a global person, for a global uh, tenant. And now I'll go back to co-living. And that's uh, the last example here is Cactus Towers. And I've been working on Cactus Towers the last uh, half year or maybe most of this year. Um, and now this is very targeted towards uh, expats and young professionals. I did a very comprehensive um, collective intelligence survey where we were trying to understand this demographic even more. So we did focus groups with them, but not just that. We also met with the human resources um, managers from some of the biggest companies like L'Oreal, um, Novo Nordisk, Maersk, and we talked to them about how difficult it was to attract talent and when they did have their talent here, what did their talent want? How could we make their experience in Copenhagen better? And uh, in addition to that, we also spoke with Dansk Industry, the Confederation of Danish Industries, expat in Denmark, Copenhagen Capacity, which attracts Danish talent, and, um, and the municipality of Copenhagen. And so we tried to arrange all of our amenity spaces, services, and activities for this demographic exactly. So one of the things that was lucky is that first of all, the building is designed by one of Denmark's darlings of architecture. So the first thing that people will be introduced to from a local perspective is local Danish architecture. And that's, that's a bargain. The furnishing is a blend of hygge. I'm not sure if any of you have heard of hygge before, but hygge means um, coziness. And it's a very Danish kind of thing. It means it's, it's warm, it feels good, it feels uh, like a place you want to be. And so the whole interior is really designed around like wood, natural materials. And I've got to say the units, the co-living units are probably the highest quality and the nicest I've ever seen in any co-living space. The, there, it's a highly food-centered um, uh, programming. There are many spaces within the building that are all about food and food being the center of activity. There's an entertainment value for local musicians to come and play, but there's also places where you can practice your music. So you can meet with other people from the city and, and practice your music and outdoor space. There's a huge green lawn that comes in between both buildings where you can do picnics or just hang out. There's a two-story gym that's open to the public. So it's not just for people who live there, but also open to the other people that are in the neighborhood. Work lounges, and of course, in Copenhagen, the only way to get around is a bike. And there's not just a bicycle garage, but a whole bicycle universe there, um, where you can fix your bike, you can park your bike, rent a bike, all of that. And so I thought Cactus was an interesting example as well of combining localism and globalism. And so I'm, I'm aware that we're nearly coming to the end of our time, but I was, I, was, um, I was thinking, you know, is globalism a thing? Can it be a thing? And, um, and I, I just think that many of you are really working within these areas. And uh, I, I think you see it. It's just something that we haven't, I don't think we've, I haven't really been talking about it before, but I've noticed how important it has been to bring into the Cactus Towers and Generation Global. And so 
I, I would like to kind of continue to explore um, how I can make both of these work together because I think the synergies can be very good. So I think that's about it from my side, but I don't know if any of you have any more comments or if you'd like to um, expand on anything that you said before. Well, I'm, su I'm super impressed. And, and as you know, like one of my favorite uh, architects is of course uh, big. And uh, I also travel around the world just to have a peek at his architecture, may it be in uh, Copenhagen or, uh, or New York, uh, his latest uh, towers. And I'm, I'm a huge fan. I'm super interested in knowing uh, on, on the architecture side, like how did you collaborate with the architecture firm and like what, what were your added values, do you think, in the, in the project? Well, actually, that was a very interesting thing because I think um, at the time, um, Big, the name of the architecture firm, um, Big hadn't really done any co-living projects before. Now, I actually hear through the rumor mill that they're designing their own kind of uh, branded co-living space. And this was the prototype for it. What we I did, imagine. Yeah. yeah, what we did was we actually came in and we looked at all of the amenity spaces. It's about 15%, maybe a little less of both towers that are um, amenity spaces. And so that is like cafes, gyms, um, work lounges. We have a master chef style kitchen, like a huge community kitchen with islands where people can cook. Um, areas that are quite flexible. So you can make them TV rooms. Um, and laundromat. And so we, we laid them out in what we thought would be the most practical spaces. But of course, being a Bjark Engels design building, like some of the spaces are triple high, some of them are double high, some of them single high. And uh, I remember the owner of the building, which is the capital fund, the boards didn't really understand the floor plans. We had to design a 3D model so that we could walk through the building and they could understand, you know, that there was like a mezzanine here or there. And so we played with these and tried to come up with the most ideal, I suppose you could say circulation plan or way of using the building. Yeah, thank you. And um, you, you have up your, your breakout room session too, since we didn't have a breakout room last time. And I think we are a few more this time. Um, would you like to have breakout rooms for this session? So these people can interact a little bit more. I, I would love to ask, like, is glocalism a thing? Do you think it can work in a highly local context? Because this is also something that's very interesting. We talk about bringing local things to global people. But what about a place like Estonia or the Ukraine bringing globalism to the local context? I mean, that's... That has been something that I also think is interesting to discuss. Um, and, and I think, Lena, you, you mentioned earlier, like I, I thought that was kind of interesting how you were saying you were bringing kind of global, global people, global personalities that were connecting with, with the locals in a unique way. And I think that's really one super cool way of, of doing that um, um, by inviting the television you know, station to discover what is this global concept. 
Yes, we, we do even more. We started doing uh, cooking masterclasses, uh, uh, showcasing cuisine from all over the world. And uh, we had a Spanish dinner and a Japanese dinner. And we also, since our name is Stockholm Studios, and we uh, <clears throat> tried to combine the Swedish Lagom philosophy uh, about balance and human-centric approach and uh, uh, meaningful consumption of resources. And so we combined the uh, Scandinavian philosophy with uh, Ukrainian or Slavic hospitality and warmth. And um, so where our, <clears throat> our partners are Swedish business association and Swedish companies, and they also bring some color to our uh, event content and um, uh, they love to hold Swedish events on in our place. And so that's how we mix and mingle. And we have people from the USA, frequent guests and like French guys. So we work as a, as a global um, inclusive house open for any kind of initiative that fosters networking and influences the well-being of our residents. <laughs> so that yeah. is very cool. And I, I can see that, you know, I, I know that there are many people that, um, if I take a look at my brother-in-law, you know, he doesn't ever want to leave the small town that he comes from in uh, in in Western Canada, but he's very fascinated by you know if there's a festival for Cinco de Mayo, which is a Mexican kind of festival, he'll go. You know, he he likes hearing about different things, different kinds of foods, but he doesn't necessarily like to actually get on a plane himself. And this is one wonderful way where you bring. Swedish culture, international um, trends to a local environment. Yes, and moreover, <clears throat> we're the place uh, for local markets and those who do some handmade stuff and cook uh, food, local food, uh, they come to our house for, um, uh, twice a year. So uh, we even held local fairs during the COVID times. And uh, we become the place for local networking. That's how uh, local brands and craftsmen meet one another. And we are also the place for uh, refu political refugees from Belarus. So I'm Belarusian, I, I'm from Minsk. And there's a war, a civil war at the moment uh, with Lukashenko, the dictator, um, like killing his own people. And um, there are a lot of uh, uh, business and political and cultural refugees from Belarus coming to Ukraine and IT guys. And we host... Um, a lot of them just for free because people don't have money and they didn't have time to to collect their documents and stuff to come to fly to Ukraine because they were saving their lives. Uh, so uh, we help people from the neighboring countries to find their second home here and to set up their life and to find connections and to also share clothes and some household stuff to uh, for them to uh, to start a new life here. So wow. Our house has a number of missions. We are not only connecting local communities, but also helping those who would like to start new life and enter a new community in Ukraine. That's amazing. That's really, really special. Yes. Are there any more comments before we sign off? Well, this has been a very interesting chat. It's been very nice to meet you and to hear your comments. 
I've really appreciated this and pleased to be part of CoLiv. Um, uh, you know, Laura and Jonathan, thank you very much for hosting. And I look forward to um, continuing to participate in future. Yeah, thank you so much. And hopefully we will be able to see, uh, see more of your architectural projects uh, in the in near future. And why not even invite you to like one of our, um, we have the yearly, um, what do we call it again? Our summits. So uh, I think uh, we will suggest to Kate, if uh, you would accept, then we would be happy probably to invite you also to that, to that oh, session. Exciting. Yes, thank you so much, Jack and Laura and Jonathan. I was happy to reunite. <laughs> mm, yes, yeah. Thank you, Lena, and thank you, Jack, for the amazing presentation. Um, and yeah, happy to see you guys. And since this was like our first uh, event for for the the fall, uh, I'm really excited to uh, to have initiated a new semester of of more events. And um, as we progress into the fall, we will have like um, um, every month a, a new event. And this month, uh, as we have started after the summer, will be the first event. We will also launch our uh, CoLive Nordic um, uh, community, uh, which will be a LinkedIn group where we will invite everyone uh, that's been here today and also people that's been part of our ongoing sessions before to have a place and space to interact uh, and talk about the specifics of, uh, of co-living within the region of, of the Nordics. So if you have any interest there, if you want to publish articles, initiate um, any types of discussions, that is the place to do so. Um, and before you all leave, I would like to just initiate our last poll, which is a very quick one, uh, an NPS question, where you will be able to just answer what you, uh, on a scale of one to 10, how would you rate this event? Or how likely is it that you would recommend this event to a friend? Um, yeah. Um, and our next session will be in October. We will, um, we will go out with information about this um, as we progress into October. Um, but yeah, I, I don't really have much more to, to add on this. Laura, do you have anything more you would like to say? No, that's great. Thank you so much, uh, Jonathan. And I have to say, Jonathan is doing a great job. The the Nordic, like kind of like smaller community is totally his idea. And uh, I'm so uh, grateful to have him uh, and work alongside him. Um, as Jonathan is really like the, the person who is based in Stockholm, based in the Nordics. And I'm, uh, I'm, <laughs> I've extracted myself from, from the country as such. But um, we have uh, many, many cool plans for, for the future. So slowly, slowly, we're putting those in place. But I think starting small and really uh, making a, a core group, uh, such as a community for, for the Nordic and have that uh, discussion platform is a, is a fantastic idea that, uh, that Jonathan will be managing. So uh, chapeau yes. to, to that. I think it's a beautiful initiative. Yeah, and I mean, ongoing uh, plans of ours is to 
as we said, like have uh, an event every month, but then also use the platform to communicate between events. So we always have some ways to talk. And like going forward, we would also invite people that are interested to joining our team of ambassadors. Uh, since I am like here in Sweden, both of us comes from Sweden. Uh, we don't really have representations. And for example, where you are, Jack, in Copenhagen, uh, Norway, uh, Iceland, Finland, mm -hmm. uh, and very much looking into uh, extending our uh, group uh, so we can create better, more, and um, uh, a total experience and drive the co-living agenda in the Nordics as a team. Um, yeah. So if you have any ideas, or if you want to be part of this team, reach out. Or if you know that someone that you think could be part of this, uh, recommend them. Mm -hmm. That would be very much helpful. Um, yeah. Do uh, we have anything else to, to share, to add before we, we end this session? I'm I'm very uh, very happy, and uh, I hope to see uh, to see the the next steps. And uh, I would even love in a future, maybe 2022, 23. I'm thinking ahead uh, to see the cactus towers. We have to go visit Jonathan. It looks amazing. Mm, yeah, this June 2022. <laughs> June 2022. Yes. And then, as we know, construction is always delayed, so maybe later. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It's like my daily life delays. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. Thank you. Mm. All thank right. you, everybody. For Thanks, everyone. Okay. Thank Take you, care. everyone. All right. Have a good day. Bye. Have a good day. Thank you. Bye. Thanks again for joining us today. And from all of us here at CoLive, we hope you learned a lot and maybe even picked up a few pieces of wisdom to help expand the CoLiving movement. To check out the CoLive membership that will allow you to connect with other leading CoLiving professionals or even just to stay updated on future podcasts and upcoming events, head over to colive.org. Again, that's co-liv.org. Thanks again for tuning in, and we look forward to having you back for our next episode.